Hello and welcome to another episode of the Powered by Positivity podcast with me, your host, Laura Murray, where we will talk all things health, fitness, mindset, nutrition and lifestyle. I am delighted and privileged to be joined by Dr. Lisa Lewis for this episode. Lisa is a licensed psychologist and a certified addictions counsellor who is really passionate about helping clients to build, strength and evolve personally, professionally and athletically. If you're somebody who struggles with motivation or feel like you struggle with motivation on a regular basis, then this episode is for you. So keep listening. I think you'll find that some of what Lisa touches on and outlines in this episode will surprise you. And I know that it will help you to achieve your goals in whatever your endeavors are. Enjoy this episode and don't forget to share and tag on your social media. I always love to hear your thoughts. I also want to mention our sponsors before we jump into this episode, Dublin Meat Company. I'm a massive fan of their healthy fit foods range of ready meals, their handy protein pots, soups and weekly fit food bundles, all of which are MSG free and macro friendly. They make it super easy to stay on track, to hit my protein intake and to ensure that I'm getting good quality, nutritious meals without any hassle or stress and zero prep time, which is just a lifesaver on busy days and weeks. Check out DublinMeatCompany.com to order, click and collect from any of their six shops in Dublin and Drogheda, open seven days a week. You can also order for delivery straight to your door across the nation. For 10% off your order, enter the code LAURAPYP at the checkout. Eat well, live well. I'm absolutely delighted to be in partnership with Airamuscle.ie. Airamuscle is your one-stop online shop for the highest quality sports nutrition and supplement brands including some of my own personal favourites, such as Optimum Nutrition and Trained by JP Nutrition. I highly recommend making use of their free delivery for orders over €70 by stocking up on your vitamins, protein, CBD products and any other supplements that you use regularly. For 10% discount off all of your orders, use the code PBIP10 at the checkout. And finally, this podcast is produced by Primal Productions and you can find all of their contact details in the show notes below. Dr. Lisa Lewis, hello and good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to um, come onto the podcast today to discuss all things motivation. I'm really, really excited to get chatting with you today. Um, the psychology behind making change is something that as a coach, it's really important to have an understanding of and human behavior and psychology is something I'm constantly striving to gain a deeper understanding of myself. Um and understanding the psychology behind making real positive lasting change and particular understanding motivation and the different types and ways that it shows up for us is so important um, as any real change or whether it's physical or otherwise starts in the mind. Um, and the more I learn about motives and motivation and the more fascinated I am by it and how having a better understanding of all of this can really help us to harness um, and kind of leverage the different types of motivation we may be feeling without really even realizing that it's there. So 
Um, it's something that I know you'll probably feel the same about this, but it's something that I see people struggle with or think they're struggling with on a daily basis, be it clients or people online. And it it's one of the phrases I hear so commonly, I'm just not motivated. I just have no motivation or I wish I had your motivation. And um, the reality of it is they have motives. They do have motivation, yeah. but they just don't understand this yet. So you explained all of this so well, Lisa. Um, when I had the privilege of seeing you speak for the first time at the Raise the Bar conference in Florida. Um, and I'd love for you to share some of this with my listeners today, because I really think that it, it's just it's so helpful to have a, a deeper understanding of all of this. Um, but before we delve into it, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a moment to just introduce yourself, um, who you are, what you do and kind of how you came to, to be where you are right now and doing what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, My name is Lisa Lewis and motivation is my favorite topic. So I'm happy to be here and and talk with you about this and how it applies to your listeners. Um, I'm a therapist by trade. So I started counseling people in 2002. And the last time I said that, I realized that we're about to hit the 20 year mark. And Mm -hmm. I have been, yeah, I've been practicing counseling for the last 20 years um, in one form or another. And essentially what counseling is, is a focused conversation between two people about one of those people. And I have come to see that people in the fitness industry, whether they be talking about exercise or nutrition or habits, they are providing counseling and they are focusing their energy and talk over how to help another person change. So um, early in my career, uh, I worked in clinical psychology and worked with people who had mental health problems like anxiety, depression, trauma. And um, then uh, I earned a master's degree in that and then worked for a little while as a counselor and then went back to school and earned my doctoral degree in counseling and sports psychology. And the focus of that program was not so much correcting mental illness, but really helping people level up and evolve, improve themselves So sport and performance psychology, of course. And then my dissertation focused on exercise psychology and specifically exercise motivation. Um, I really have always been fascinated by what makes people tick. And I care so much about um, wellness and health and people really enjoying their relationship with their bodies and developing habits that will enable them to enjoy their bodies and their life. Um, That I moved in that direction uh, to do my research. And so now I have a private practice. So I see some folks who have mental health problems, but then I see some folks who really don't have a problem per se, but they want to change something, improve something or fix something, which really most people do. And all of your clients who are listening have something they want to change or improve. Um, And so the, you know, the science and the art of changing in sustainable ways is really what my career has become about. So sometimes I consult with companies uh, or health companies about how to help people change using digital platforms or products or whatever. But uh, really, my favorite thing to do is talk to people about how we can help other people change. So motivation is something I think about both with clients and in my consulting work, and then that I do teaching and, and continuing at about, which is where you saw me speaking at Florida, in Florida at that seminar. Right. Amazing. Thank you for that. And um, that gives us a really, really clear overview of, as I said, who it is, what you do and the incredible amount of experience that you have in all of this as well. 
Um, so you're so well versed in understanding motivation. Firstly, I'd love you to, if you can, define what is motivation. Mm-hmm. So motivation is an energy. It's a juice, if you will, that determines um, the direction of our energy, of our behavior, and its persistence over time. So if you think about fuel or gas being in a gas tank, that is motivation. And motivation really determines and drives all of our behaviors, everything from brushing our teeth to paying our taxes to eating right and exercising, so on and so forth. And one of the things that people focus on when they think about motivation is how full the tank is. And you mentioned clients saying to you, I don't have motivation or I lost motivation. And in fact, that is usually not the case, particularly for people who are complaining about that. So if they're frustrated, if they're complaining to you, DMing you, talking to you about wanting motivation, that is motivation. That is energy. And so the important thing to understand about motivation is that you have more than one tank. You have many different tanks or sources of fuel, of energy, um, different qualities, different types of motivation. And when people say, I'm not motivated or I lost motivation, and they're complaining about that, I think most of the time what people mean is they don't have intrinsic motivation. Like they're not like internally feeling this excitement about, you know, prepping their chicken breasts for the week or getting their steps in. And intrinsic motivation is fabulous. It is the motivation to do something that is purely for the internal state that gets created. So if you think about being in the zone or being in flow, that's great. And in sports psychology, we talk about intrinsic motivation a lot. But when it comes to exercise and health behaviors, a lot of those things that we need to do to take care of ourselves are not intrinsically rewarding. So doing right, your foam rolling, fun. Yeah. no, they're not fun. You know, there are things that you got to do. And so I think we really lose people. And, and I think people like judge themselves, criticize themselves or drop out and quit by thinking that what we should all have is this like intrinsic drive to yeah, exercise. Yeah, like this, this enthusiasm that just doesn't ever drop to do our workouts and to hit our step goal and to eat right. And, you know, when they're not feeling that excitement or that enthusiasm, they feel like they're failing almost. And then it's like, oh, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. do we overcome that? <clears throat> so the number one thing to do is to start where you are and to one thing I try to do with folks is to do a little motivational inventory. Like, let's check up there in that noodle and see what motives you do have. So if, let's say a client DM'd you or emailed you and said, I don't have any motivation or I lost motivation. I'm so frustrated. I want to be like you. You would say something like, well, tell me more. Like, you're calling me. You're emailing me. You care. What is it that you care about? What do you want? And usually what you'll get out of that are some motives. So I want to take better care of myself so that I can show my kids and I can be a good role model for being healthy. Or every other woman in my family has had a stroke or heart disease by age 50. And I don't want that for myself. You know, I really want to change that legacy in my family. 
So those may not be intrinsic motives, but those are really good motivations that you can harness and leverage to help people engage in behaviors. And then some people might not have very much. They might say, well, my wife said I've got to do something because (laughs) she's tired of seeing me sitting on the couch and eating cheese and getting heavy. (laughs) Well, if that's not a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I've had clients who are like, (laughs) I've had a, a handful of men who are like, I love drinking beers and I love, you know, on the weekends, hanging out with friends and here in the U S now, like craft beers and microbreweries have become a very big deal. And so those beers are very calorically dense, you know? And so I have worked with more than a couple of men who are like, I don't really want to exercise, but I want to drink beers on the weekend. And my significant other (laughs) has basically said, you've got to do something about yourself. And that is perfectly fine. That is so like, that's your motivation. That's like essentially, okay, you know, if you, you're not motivated to work out, but you know that if you work out, you can have a quiet life and have your beers at the weekend. And that's your motive now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so number one, start where you are. And number two, keep in mind that motivation can develop. It can become more internalized over time. So even if you start with a really external, extrinsically motivated goal, like I want to lose 20 pounds because I want to look good when I go to my high school reunion, leveraging that motivation and focusing on that and remembering that as you're doing your thing will help you to engage. And as you're exercising or getting your steps or doing your meal prep and you start to see results and you get other results like sleeping better, having a better sex drive, having better self-esteem, as those other things keep going on, it's actually going to enhance and evolve the way you are motivated. So you might go from, I don't care. I'm just in it to lose the weight to, you know what, when I, on days when I exercise, I feel better about myself. I feel proud of myself, you know, and then that's a little bit more internal. And then as people continue, maybe they start doing things like, well, now I want to do a body weight pull up now that I see myself getting stronger, or now I want to be able to deadlift hundred pounds or something where you start to hear different motivations. You start to hear more internal motivations. And as coaches, any coaches that are listening, that's the stuff you want to grab onto because it's the sign that the motivation is becoming more intrinsic, more internal. And the more internalized it is, the higher quality it is. And why does higher quality matter? Higher quality motivation is related to more enjoyment, and more persistence around the activity. So you're more likely to do something, you know, when the reasons why you do it are, are more internal and autonomous. Right, so and things, the results are therefore going to be better. So yeah. yes, and the results are going to be better and people are going to be happier doing it. So everybody knows when you do something for an external reason, like getting a reward or just to lose weight, you know, you can be kind of miserable while you're doing that. Uh, So the word in the literature is affect, like your affect, the way you feel and the way you think about a behavior is more positive if you're doing it for more internal reasons. So you start where you are, you use whatever motive you have to get into a pattern. And then as that motivation evolves and grows, it's going to grow in a direction that's more and more internal. And then you've got intrinsic. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And um, in terms, so assessing your motivation, I suppose, is number is number one is key. And that is something that I do with every single one of my clients or anybody that I speak to who wants to make change or, mm-hmm. you know, they come and they don't, they're frustrated. They don't know where to start. They think they have no motivation there, um, but they, they know they want change. So that is number one. That's their motivation is the fact that they know they want to change. Um, so obviously trying to assess what what they want to change and then going deeper and finding the why 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 do you value you know being healthier and being fitter how how it's how is that going to add value to your life and the things that matter to you and um, but then like you said as they start to see changes and make positive changes and see results the the motivation changes a little bit and becomes more intrinsic or more internal and what are the stages of change or the different types of motivation Lisa I'd love you to elaborate a little bit more on this yeah so you asked both about the stages of change and also the types of motivation and those are two different theories so let me start with motivation since we've been talking about that as I was describing to you different qualities of motivation and talking about intrinsic and autonomous yeah. behaviors I'm referring to the self-determination theory, which is what's called a meta theory of motivation, which just means it incorporates a whole bunch of different theories. Um, And it's been utilized a lot in sport and exercise psychology in in literature. So the different qualities or different gas tanks, fuel tanks, if you will, of motivation start with external regulation, which is only doing something to incur a reward or to avoid a punishment. So most of us pay our taxes, not because it brings us like joy, but because we have to, or else we'll get in trouble. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of us have done something for an incentive, like get a free, you know, box of cookies when you buy this much coffee or something like that. Mm. So that's your basic behaviorist, like Skinnerian type of motivation. The more next step of a little bit more internalized motivation is called introjected regulation. And it sounds fancy. But basically all it means is there's a feeling that you either want to get or avoid. And that feeling is internal. However, it's kind of injected or forced because of the social context. So for example, people who say, I really didn't want to work out. I really kind of wanted to cancel, but I knew if I did that and I, and I didn't show up that I would feel guilty Like I would feel like I let you down as my coach or the other girls at the gym who go to the Zumba class with me, like they'd be like, where's Lisa? So in order to avoid feeling guilty, maybe they worked out or they might say, I really didn't want to train, but I knew if I did it, I would feel awesome and I would feel good about myself. So to avoid guilt and shame or to incur pride, you know, that sense of accomplishment, that is that interjected regulation. And I, it has limited usage. Like this will die off over time. As everybody knows, like guilt doesn't keep you on track very long at all. (laughs) Um, And, um, but if that's where you're starting from, or if a day here and there, uh, the only reason you exercise and drag yourself to the gym is because you know, you feel better afterwards. You still got through that day and you got your exercise in for that day. So I never want to dismiss that type I just just want to say you cannot, and all everybody who's listening, who's ever struggled with like weight loss or exercise behavior knows you cannot rely on guilt or pride alone to get you persisting over time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The next little bit more autonomous, little bit more internalized form of motivation is called identified regulation. 
And this is quite commonly a motive that people will describe when they're getting started with a behavior change, like quitting smoking or exercising or sleeping better or eating right. And identified means they don't enjoy the activity per se, but the outcome that they would get out of it is congruent with their goals and their values. So I hate exercising. I don't like sweating, but I want to have a healthy heart to avoid having a heart attack or a stroke, or I want to set a good example for my kids. Um, you know, I want something out of it. Um, right. And an identified regulation is really important because even though they're not doing it just for the state that gets created, even though they might say, I hate exercise, the thing that they want is in alignment with their morals and their values and their goals. And that's internal. So the exercise or the food prep or the quitting smoking is a means to an end, but the end is really important. Right. Um, so the and necessary so I, things to, that they yeah. need to do is, is go, they're going to make sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and often I'll see this with people who will talk about this a lot with folks who have an injury or who've had a surgery, who've had some kind of setback And the way that they're going to recover is to do exercise. Like often physical therapy is, you know, doing corrective exercise or rehabilitating, or uh, I've worked with a number of people who need to lose a certain amount of weight before they can have a surgery. So they don't want to engage in the process, but they want the outcome. And the outcome is a really important motive for you to be keeping in mind so that you can keep your eyes on the prize and keep your behaviors, you know, consistent with, with that outcome. Yeah. So I like identified regulation very much. And then the next, the most internalized form of external motivation. So as close as you can get to intrinsic without being intrinsic motivation is something called integrated regulation and integrated regulation. I personally feel is the gold standard in health related behaviors, because what it means is that the behavior, whether it be how you eat, how you exercise, how you sleep is part of your personality. In other words, the behavior is integrated into who you are as a person. So whenever somebody describes an activity and puts ER at the end of it, that's a good sign. So if they say, I'm a runner, I'm a skier, I'm a crossfitter, what they mean is that that behavior is part of me. And so even though that behavior might be hard or unpleasant or um, really difficult, when they do it, they feel like they're being them, that they're demonstrating their personality, that they're demonstrating mastery, that they have these skills that are congruent with who they are as a person. Awesome. And, it, and yeah. um, I think a lot of us in the fitness industry have this type of motivation. Yeah. And so we I do agree. a lot of things that we don't really want to do, but we do them because they're part of us. And I think where we get in trouble as people helpers is to expect newcomers to have that or to adopt that. But it yeah, takes time or even to understand to that build because, something. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I completely agree. And it, it really does. It takes a lot of time. I know myself, even my own journey, I just listening to you describe the difference, the different phases there, the different stages of motivation. I went through every single one of those. And now for me, it is integrated regulation. That's where I'm at. I get up at 5 a.m. to go and, 
you know, hit my step count for the day before I sit at my desk oh. for the day and to do my training because it is part of who I am. It makes up the person that I am. It's it's so, so important. It's a big part of my identity. And I think that it would be unfair for me to expect my family and friends or other people who just don't get it and haven't come through those different stages and don't have the same values as me to understand that or to feel like that. So it's really, really important, I think, as a coach to understand that people coming to you starting their journey or wanting to start to make change don't feel that way and they don't understand it. Um, and I think when okay. we understand that and try to look at where, remember where where I was when I started and how I felt and what what drove me and what my motives were, but also then just really listen to them to help them to understand their own motives so we can harness that. Um, I'll let you continue there because I know you, ha you had more to add to that as well, Lisa. And I know that this is something you speak about yeah. so much on your social media outlet as well, integrated regulation. I love your posts. You post quite quite regularly on this as well. Um, and I love them. So yeah, if anybody isn't following Lisa already, get on that. Um, but yeah, I'll let you continue on that. So integrated regulation. Yeah, I appreciate you interjecting because... Um, I think to put it into layman's terms and to talk about how it really applies to human beings is such an effective way to help people remember. And people who start working with you, I think new clients, they get disheartened when they're like, oh my gosh, my coach gets up at 5am and she does all her steps and like, like, I'm not motivated to do that. Well, maybe you are, but it's not integrated regulation because you haven't had the opportunity to get your reps in, to get to a place where it's part of your identity. So mm -hmm. the example I like to give for people that's not athletic or exercise is to think about a musician. So I've heard the story many times of people who play the piano, for example, that when they were four or five, their mom and dad dragged them to practice and they hated going and they hated practicing and, um, they wanted to quit and it was really hard. And now as an adult, even if they're not a professional musician, like it's a joy to sit down at a, at a piano and play, or it's a joy to sit with a guitar for a few minutes and just mess around. And the reason why it's a joy is because of all that practice you had to go through and going from, I'm only going to do it because mom's going to give me an ice cream afterwards to look, mom, I did it at the rehearsal and feeling pride you know, and then as it goes, it becomes more and more of a part of something that you freely choose. And so if we want people to get to a place where they freely choose to do not that enjoyable health behaviors, we have to bake it into the crust. We have to help them through the journey of it becoming more and more integrated. And so we cannot just say, you need to, you know, be inspired by this influencer on Instagram and just poof, you know, change your ways yeah. one day and want to do that because that's not, that's not the way it works. And anybody who's ever raised a baby or has trained a pet knows that you have to start with reward. You Rewards, have to yeah. get lots and lots and lots and lots of repetition in. It takes a yeah. long time before your kid wants to brush their teeth because they want to brush their teeth or... You know, I, there's probably a million other examples of behaviors that take a long time 
to become yeah, and it is. we want. It's so true. Like using a reward like that can really work. I have a client who um, had made a commitment to do a certain amount of runs over a, a three month period and she achieved this and she had set herself a little reward that she was going to buy herself a pair, a new pair of Lululemon leggings that she really, really wanted. And she got them and then she was like, that was great. Mm-hmm. Now I have my new leggings, but I want to set myself another target now. And the new target, there's no reward. It's just because she wants to see herself achieve it now because she knows that she did it last time and she can better it. Bingo. So it's, yeah, it's incredible. Bingo. I think using rewards like that, it's okay to do that. It's not just for kids or dogs as well. Like we can use them for ourselves if it's going to help create that initial motive and help to spur us on then when we do start to see change and start to see other positive impacts on, you know, achieving what we set out to achieve in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's a fabulous example. Um. In terms of, you mentioned there just while you were speaking, inspiration. What is the difference between, or is there a difference between inspiration versus motivation, Lisa? Like what would you describe inspiration as? And when people maybe look at somebody, like you mentioned on Instagram or looking at a fitness professional or somebody else that they aspire to be like and see, oh, that kind of motivates me. What's the difference there between inspiration and ver- motivation in terms of um, how it can play a part in people taking action? Mm-hmm. Well, I think inspiration touches somebody. It, it's probably pushing a motivational button. And I would want to know what button is that pressing? So is that influencer, do they have a body that you want to have? That's one kind of motivation. Are they describing a life and a, a, a mood and a mindset that you really want? That's a different kind of motivation. You know, are they describing benefits or outcomes to their life that you also want? So, I, you know, inspiration, I think, can trigger your own motives, but they cannot be in place of your own motives. So when coaches say something like, I really want to inspire and motivate my clients I like to talk about that because by your clients cannot sustain themselves on your motivation, on your energy, on your inspiring them. They really need to access their own. So if being inspired helps them access something that's within them, that's great. Um, and I would like to unpack that with a client. Like, well, what do you, what do you, what is it that you want about what this other person has? And to hear more about that, you spoke earlier about finding your why, like what makes you say you want to be like this person to hear more specifically what it is about, because just looking at images of that person is not going to help that, that individual to exercise, you know, three times a week, 30 minutes a time or, or whatever their goal is. Absolutely. And like, I think that's something that you've spoken about before, like assessing motivation in or your what your motives are at the start or helping a client. I think our job as a coach is sometimes confused by clients or potential clients as we're not here to motivate you. We're here to help you, f- to facilitate you finding your motives and your motivation and then to help you put in a plan in place to harness that and to have systems then that we use those motives uh, to, you know, create systems to get you closer to what it is, the outcome goal that you want. And, you know, people, I've had texts from clients before saying, you know, I really need, I need you to motivate me more. You know, I need you. It's, I loved that text you sent me yesterday. It motivated me, but it's like, okay, but I can't be here to hold your hand every single day and every step of the way 
we need to sit down and talk about why you want to do this for yourself. And if it is something that you actually want for yourself or if it's something that you've been told that you should be doing, you know, what is it that you actually want for you and why? Um, and then reassessing that as we go as well. Like like you said, if if you're being inspired by somebody you know, having to think about why that is and what it is that you see in them, what what qualities that they have, whether it's a lifestyle, whether it's a body, whether it's, you know, um, certain skills that they have. But why do you want that for you? And always bringing it back to your own values and what matters to you. Um, in terms of um, the... Um, the sorry the different stages as well Lisa what the highest stage is integrated regulation is there anything beyond that so what's beyond that if you think the most autonomous least controlled uh is intrinsic motivation which means the only reason that you engage in the behavior is for the internal state that gets created or the feeling of effectance and effectance basically just means like that feeling of kicking ass or being in the zone or being in a flow state. So it doesn't have to be sport. Like, you know, there's some people who love to bake and they don't eat what they bake. They eat, they bake all these gorgeous things and then they give them away just because they like never understand that. Never. (laughs) No, but that's their zone. That's their, that's their thing. Or people who are runners will often talk about like being in the zone or people who like enjoy climbing or, um, whenever I see somebody, I live in Boston and when I'm on the, on the T, which is our subway system, I'll see people doing like a Sudoku puzzle or a crossword. And why are they doing that? They're not going to get any reward out of that. They're just doing it for like what it's like to do, engage in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so intrinsic joy and motivation is really, you know, that's like, putting the sugar on top. It's always going to be rewarding. It's always going to be motivating. It's just that when it comes to health-related behaviors, we don't have a lot of that. And what, what I would argue is those of us who do feel intrinsically joyful or engaged or in the zone, it's taken us a lot of practice to get there. So I have workouts where I'm like totally in the zone and I'm loving it and I'm really working hard. But, you know, I've been strength training or weightlifting since I was like 12, probably. So it's taken a long, long time um, to enjoy that. And anybody who's a a runner or even a musician, you know that it takes a while before you get there. So and then there's plenty of days where I'm not like loving, you know, doing my dead bugs and my bird dogs and my a lot of the other things that I'm like, I don't really enjoy this, but I do it because I want to keep my mobility. I want to keep my stability. I don't want to injure myself. I want a better range of motion. You know, I identify all these other things that I want. Um, So there's, it's a symphony, really. I think people need to consider that you can use any of these tanks. If you get up one morning and the intrinsic motivation tank is full and you can't wait to get after it and you're excited, that's awesome. But if it's not, that doesn't mean you don't have motivation. You probably have some juice in the other tanks. So how can you identify that and leverage that so that you are consistently engaging in these behaviors over time? And if one day you're going because it's really fun and one day you're going just because you want to eat a brownie later and one day you're <laughs> going because you told your running buddy you would, you really don't want to, but you don't want to let her down. 
look, you've gotten three days in the week where you've done something good for yourself. And then that builds on itself. Having that persistence helps to keep the tanks full. Amazing. That's such a good explanation. And it really, I think that will really, really help to give people a better overview of, you know, you probably do have motivation even on the days that you don't feel it. You you definitely do somewhere, but you just got to look a little deeper and ask yourself kind of some deeper questions mm-hmm. um, about what really matters to you. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the self-determination theory, Lisa. Um, I know motivation, we've really kind of went a little deeper on there. Um, but I know you've spoken before about our basic physiological needs of autonomy, competency and relatedness. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to kind of just unpack that for listeners as well. Yeah. So those are basic psychological needs that are universal. So we have basic physiological needs. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to sleep. We need shelter. And we have psychological needs that are universal across culture. So the need for autonomy is usually the one that's identified as being number one in a, in a lot of the literature that we are animals that like to feel that we have volition in our environment, that we have choice, that we are driving, we're steering the ship, so to speak. And the more autonomous a motivation is, um, the more likely we are to want to engage in it. So how do we help people to feel autonomous? We it's called autonomy supportive coaching, which basically means you ask why the client wants to do something. Like you said, finding the why is a way of finding that, like what's autonomous within you, what makes you want to make, do this choice or engage in this behavior, um, providing choice of, you don't have to eat grilled chicken every day. You know, I just saw a post from a a woman who does a lot of nutrition coaching and she had a list of like 20 other kinds of lean protein. So basically what she's trying to do there is people who are like maybe rolling their eyes or saying, Oh, I'm not motivated to eat more protein is to say, wait, you've got all these choices. Yeah. Um, so autonomy is something all of us want. The second universal psychological basic need is competency. And that means that we like to learn. We like to gain skills over different aspects of our environment. And then we like to demonstrate mastery of skills. We like to engage in situations where we can look competent and we avoid situations where we might look incompetent. So we don't like, like to look like we don't know what we're doing. We don't like to be the newbie. No, (laughs) no. So being the newbie is hard when competency is low. It's important that autonomy is high. So if you ever think about taking a kid to like their first soccer practice or something, what is it? It's basically playing, right? Like they're running races, they're having fun and they're having choice because they don't really have much skill and it would be boring to just focus on the skill. So when you have newbies who are coming to the gym for the first time or who are just getting started with exercise, it's really important to ask, what do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? Or if you have no idea, what are you interested in? What are you curious about? You try to get some autonomy there so that they can make some choice and feel like I'm, I'm really scared of that meathead looking weight room, but like this body pump class in here where there's all these older ladies and they got the bars and they're like, I, I want to try that. Okay. You know, all roads lead to Rome. So however we can get somebody going, because if let's say somebody doesn't want to strength train, quote unquote, but they want to go to the body pump class. What are they going to learn? 
They're going to learn how to put weights on and off a bar. They're going to learn some form and some postures. They're going to learn what muscle fatigue feels like. And so gaining that competency might actually help increase their motivation to then want to train in the weight room or something else. So building competency is always a way to um, enhance people's motivation. And the way that we do that as coaches is to provide informational feedback, which, which can be showing them on the video how they look, literally coaching them and giving them internal cues or external cues. Uh, it doesn't have to be telling them they did a good job or cheerleading them. It really is an opportunity to include learning and to scaffold that learning over time. So what do I mean by that? It, I mean, as somebody gets really good at doing, let's say um, they get good at doing like a, a body weight squat. Okay. Then you progress it. Let's do a goblet squat. Okay. Then you progress that. Let's try a back squat. Okay. Yeah, you've got that. Which is why it's so it's so important to have like measurable progress like mm -hmm. and, and to track things as you go with with whatever it is you're trying to achieve or get better at right because um, what people are inherently going to want is to get more confidence so like your client who first she did it for the lululemons and then she was like no now i want to hit this target probably she gained a lot of competency in that experience of chasing the lulus and then after she had more skills and more competency then she wanted to level herself up Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And in yeah. terms and the of the great thing about exercise, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, you go ahead. Sorry, no, Laura. you go ahead. <laughs> you go for it. Um, I was going to say the great thing about fitness is that you can always enhance your competency. Like you're never done with making it harder. <laughs> you're never yes. done with even people who are super duper skilled and maybe who are coaches and who've been training forever they're always finding new ways to challenge themselves, like deadlifting from a deficit or, you know, I mean, there's so many ways in exercise yeah. to, to enhance your knowledge and your, your skill set. Your skill. Absolutely. And that's why, that's one of the things I love so much about what we do, no matter what level you're at, no matter what your starting point, no matter how long you've been training or haven't been training, we can always improve. There's always more and there's always more to learn. There's always, you know, we can always get better, which is massively exciting. Like it never ends. Um, and yeah, the, like no matter how competent you are at something, you can always become more competent. Yes. There's more doors will open into different avenues to, you know, maybe be starting at the bottom of something slightly different, but then, you know, knowing, okay, well, if I've, if I've done this and come this far through something else, maybe, you know, what else can I do now? Mm -hmm. So that's really exciting. Um, and in terms of relatedness, um, how would you explain that? Yeah. So relatedness is the universal need to be connected to others, to be part of something that's greater than yourself. Yes. So some people in sport and exercise settings really feed off relatedness. They, it's the most important thing for them. So especially people who like group exercise, I find that they are really excited about that community, about people that they meet there, about other regulars, quote unquote, to the class. Um, for people who go to a small boutique gym, I have found that many smaller gyms, they really focus on the community or the culture, you know, within their gym and how do they connect members and how do they have events or activities that are like outside of just exercise time where people can connect. And that has to do with relatedness. I think that's on a large scale. I also would include that your relationship with your coach or your client is an important part of that relatedness and 
how is the rapport between you and do you feel like your coach is picking up what you're putting down and they understand you? So yeah. relatedness tends to be kind of like the number three thing, the uh, basic psychological need that is spoken about in the literature. What I find is there's a certain group of people who are really, really focused on that and they get a lot out of that. And then there's other folks that when it comes to their training or their exercise, like that's not what they're looking for. They're more interested in competency or autonomy that's really driving them more. So it's not that it's even for every behavior and every individual, how these needs are get met in different contexts always fluctuate from person to person, but it's good as coaches to have your, have your ears open for what is really feeding that motivation or filling the tanks of motivation. And it's good for clients to know too, you know, so when I've done um, trainings in the past in person, I've had people write down a bunch of behaviors. They do everything from you know, paying their taxes to getting themselves to the gym and then to identify like, what do I get out of that? Why do I, why do I want to do that? Is it because it's opportunities to learn and, and get competency? Is it, is it opportunity to just like exercise my autonomy and I'm choosing to do it? Or is it a way for me to connect with other people? So it, it's nice to be able to have your eye on like, how are these behaviors I'm doing feeding me nourishing me and making sure that my tanks of motivation are staying as full as they can. Absolutely. That's awesome. I love that. And it is like, I think relatedness is something that I wouldn't have even thought of in, in terms of, you know, our needs, like autonomy, competency. I would have really thought about that in relation to strength training and bettering our health and fitness. But the relatedness is hugely important because as humans, we do, we need that. And it's, it's kind of important for us to know that, we're not the only ones struggling or we're not the only ones striving for better and we're not the only ones, you know, in a certain situation. So creating some sort of community or being a part of some sort of community for yourself um, and a community of not only just a, a random community, but a community of people who are after the same thing as you or have similar, a similar, um, are on a similar journey, you know, like-minded people. Um, and that's something that I really strive to do, particularly with my online community, with online clients, mm -hmm. because like that, the modern day human, we're so um, in our own little bubbles. We spend a lot of time on screens and away from society, particularly through the pandemic now. Mm -hmm. So having a community and being a part of a community of like-minded people who are, going through in their own ways, similar struggles and, you know, striving for something similar. But I think at the crux of it, our needs are all the same, really, as humans. And anybody who is on a journey to better their health, their fitness, their well-being, we're all just on different journeys to the same place. We're all just striving to look better, to feel better, to perform better. And I think when we realize that, we can all kind of help to lift each other up. So the relatedness part of it and hearing you speak about that has been so, so important and really reminded me of the importance of this. So thank you. Mm. And I, to piggyback off the point you just made, I, in the last couple of years, I have seen even more emphasis on Facebook groups or like communities within um, communities of let's have everybody yeah. who's working on some nutritional habits be in this group so they can communicate together or check in with one another. Um, or I've, I work with, um, a nutrition coach who basically has shifted his model to 
making sure there's at least one group a week where he's got 10 or 12 of his clients talking together. Um, And so it's a way for him really to help them stay motivated, remember what's important to them to hear what's helping other people and really to, to fill that relatedness (laughs) tank so that folks are staying motivated over time. Yeah, it's huge. Like, and the psychology behind it, it, like, I'd love to go deeper into this. I do want to be respectful of your time today. But even last week, I had Dan John on the podcast Mm. and he was mentioning about, um, he spoke at the conference as well, but he was mentioning about um, like teams and, you know, the importance of community. And I suppose it comes back to relatedness, like Mm -hmm. teams in quite often the best team doesn't or the winning team doesn't win because they did, you know, more strength training or more training on the field. They win because they came together and they were they were part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that point just really resonated with me. And I think like that, like you mentioned, even over the past couple of years, particularly as we've all been kind of like isolated to some degree mm-hmm. more than normal from our, our, our actual face-to-face communities and um, having some sort of community and 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 making sure that that relatedness is there and we're, we're allowing ourselves to be part of something bigger is is huge yeah. um I would love for you to touch on before and um, we have to wrap up today Lisa um negativity bias this is something that you've spoken about so much in the past um, and it fascinates me. And I would love for you to just um, speak about this and explain how it works to listeners. Yeah. So negativity bias, it was first written about, I believe the paper is 2001 and the authors are Rosin and, and Rosiman, and they were our social psychologists and uh, negativity bias is the phenomenon that human beings will naturally give more weight to events and memories, uh, people, places, things that are negative than to things that are neutral or to positive. So they weigh more heavily. So for example, let's say you're having a session with a client or they're, you're going over their food log with them and there's like 15 things they did fabulously well. And then there's one thing where they were inconsistent with their goals or they felt like they went off track and what they will do is say to you like, Oh, I totally blew it. You know, totally skipping the 14 things that they did great on and only focusing on this one negative miss or thing where they, they didn't do it the way they wanted to. And, you know, what I think is important about starting the conversation around negative thinking with negativity bias is that it is a thing. So my, my slide basically around this says negativity bias, it's a thing, it's, it's real. Thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And once we can name it, we can say, okay, if we know that negative people, places, things, events are going to be loaded more heavily, what do we have to do then to get a balanced, objective, productive way of thinking? We have to load positive and neutral. We have to add more of that in order to get a balance because if we just, it's not going to be 50, 50, if you have one positive and one negative, the negative is going to totally take control. And, um, people who are interested in this, there's a, there is a psychologist who spent her entire career studying and writing about positivity and positive emotion and positive thinking. Her name is Barbara Fredrickson and Barbara Fredrickson wrote a great book called positivity. And she Based on her research, she says what you need is a three to one ratio of positive to negative. That negative weighs so heavily 
the bias is so strong that you need a three to one in order to keep the scales balanced. Um, and really what I like about Barbara Fredrickson is she is a scientist, you know, she's not woo woo or warm and fuzzy, touchy feely. She's done a lot of research in her life, but what she's talking about is how important it is to stay positive. So I think it gives the scientific lens to something that people often discredit. Yeah, which is huge because I think before even looking at, I know some of the practices that we can actually actively do now to, to, you know, balance that and have that three to one ratio, positive, negative is the likes of gratitudes and positive affirmations. And even the likes of gratitudes now only in the past few years have started to be researched by scientists and there's scientific back papers now that prove, you know, the, the positive benefits of practicing daily gratitudes on our on our human being systems like and they can having that backing now proves that okay there is there's real reason behind this it's not woo woo it's not it's not something that you know only hippy dippy people who are burning sage and you know mm-hmm. sitting in in circles cross legged are doing um, what are the things that you have have found or or that people would you recommend to people to practice to kind of find that balance? Mm. Um, and also, while we're on that, um, I know it can be useful as well to lean into the negativity sometimes. And obviously we don't want to negate negative feelings or That's right. um, we have to acknowledge. Um, this is something that I'm really passionate about because my own business name is Powered by Positivity. And I think at times it can maybe be misconstrued to somebody who doesn't understand. Um, It's really not about, you know, completely ignoring reality and negating that there is bad things in life. There are negative things, but and that's part of it. It's light and shade. We have to acknowledge all of it, but that we don't have to be controlled by the negative. Mm-hmm. And we can, there are things that we can actively do to, um, to feel better, I suppose, and to overcome negativity and and negative feelings and um, the things that, like you said, will take bias over the things that we'll end up focusing on if we allow ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you recommend, Lisa, in terms of taking our power back and getting that balance or that ratio a little bit more in balance mm-hmm. in terms of the negative positive? First of all, thank you for reminding me that the name of your business uh, and that we're really kind of touching on your jam right here. And the other thing you said that I really love is this is not about saying that negative things don't exist. It's not about blocking that stuff out. There is room and space and time to talk about negative things. Um, So I really appreciate you saying that. So we're not saying they don't matter. We're saying that they're loaded much more heavily and that we, you know, we don't need to spend lots of time and energy focusing because you're already over-focused on them. So the way that we can, yes, we can acknowledge them. And then what we're going to do intentionally is spend more time cultivating and what they call hunting for the good. Karen Rybeck, who's a positive psychologist, wrote a book um, called Seven Habits, I think of highly effective people, something like that. Yeah. And um, she says, you have to hunt for the good. You have to be on the lookout because the negative stuff is always going to be in your face. So powered by positivity. When I think about that, I think about hunting for good. It means like you are looking for the positives to kind of fuel and energize the journey that people are going to want to 
go on. And I, and I think that looks very different. It's very individual, which is why, you know, we have strategy sessions and goal setting sessions with people is to see what's going to work for them. Cause I know I would say like 80% of clients I work with, if I were to say, I want you to do a daily positive affirmation, they would like triple eye roll me, you know, and they would not (laughs) be on board for something like that. I work with a lot lot of people who have trouble with addiction and those folks tend to be like very sarcastic and have a strong sense of humor. And they're just like, yeah, I'm not going to tell myself like I'm fabulous and beautiful and I matter because that's how (laughs) they associate it. Right. So I know that's not necessarily what you're talking about, but you have to make sure that you're identifying interventions that people feel would be authentic to them, that they feel Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's something I could do or something I could say. So if somebody is down with positive affirmations, awesome. If somebody is pushing back about that, I would spend a little bit more time um, wondering how to tailor that so that it would fit their personality. So, so for example, a lot of times athletes also, I, I work with athletes, they, they only focus on their imperfections. There's a lot of perfectionism going on with really elite level people. Um, And so what I have to do is I talk about collecting evidence or looking at the data. So I will say, what evidence do you have to support the idea that you suck and that you're never going to make another team or you're never going to play again? Let's look at the evidence. Like, what evidence do we have to support that you actually are a very talented athlete? And then I, I will use their own words. So they'll tell me I made this team or that team, or I practiced this many hours a day, or this coach said that about me. I will help them to gather up the positive evidence and say, based on all this evidence, what should our hypothesis be? And then what they're going to say is something like, I'm actually really good, or I'm real, I'm super hard worker. Um, or right now I'm working with somebody who's not an, who's not an athlete, but he is working towards a goal in the military. Um, that is really physical and really challenging. And he said, like, I will never, ever, ever give up. Like I'm a person who will just never quit no matter what. And so that is the affirmation. Like I, I looked for it with them. We sort of did like an excavation. Let's look at the evidence. Let's, let's dig it out. And then I want them to make a statement because it's coming out of their heart and their mind. And then I say, boom, There it is. So I work with a lot of people to create what I call a script, which is basically what are these positive, true, authentic statements that come from inside of you that will help you to think positively and to perform your best. And so I'm not calling them affirmations, but really that's what they are. You know, I'm a hard worker who never gives up. I'm a talented athlete who deserves what she gets all these different things that people get to, but we have to do work to get to them because what they start reporting as your clients probably do is say like, I suck. I've failed a million times. I can't ever change. I never stick with anything. You know, that's what's on the surface. So you've got to be a little bit of like an archeologist and like (laughs) get in there and dig (laughs) out and excavating. Yes. And, and, and looking for the good. So that's what I, that's the way that I tend to go because I think you use the word like hippy dippy or something. Sometimes yeah. if you just come at people with like, let's say daily affirmations, at least yeah. my clients, I get a lot of. Get a lot of pushback with that. Yeah. But I think when, if people, it's not something that they've been open to or even tried in the mm. past. Yeah. And I can completely understand that because I would say five years ago, I would have been the same myself. Mm. And 
you know, I love that you've just kind of changed the wording, you know, we'll look for some positive evidence based on, you know, let's talk about the things that you're doing right or the things that you're good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing. And then what I what I'll help them to do is say, I want to build this script. I want to look for more statements that are real and authentic and that are positive. Because how many times a day do you get your repetitions in of saying all this negative stuff? And people will say like, oh my God, it's just a tape that plays over and over and over and over and over again. So I'll say like this positive stuff is a drop in the bucket. We had to spend 10 minutes to find this positive statement. So you need to practice these every day and you need to catch yourself when the negative tape is playing. Yeah. So all of this is coaching around using affirmation and and stopping the self-destructive negative self-talk. But we're, you know, I will use different language depending on who I'm talking to. And often I feel like it's very productive to talk about reviewing the evidence and kind of thinking scientifically with people because it 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 takes the this is silly woo-woo-ness out of it and and makes people think more like, oh yeah, I do think way more negatively than I do positively. And that's probably not helping me to perform well or to stick to my goals. Like it's not serving me well. So it's a little bit of like uh, persuasion, (laughs) like trying to make the case, make an argument for somebody. But I think it's worth the time and the effort because then they're on board with, I need to actually spend some time remembering and saying to myself these positive, true things that lead to me feeling better and performing better. Absolutely. We all need it. And it is. It's so powerful. Um, I love how you reframed that, Lisa. That is um, very helpful and definitely something, a a tool and a tactic that I'm going to utilize going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we wrap up, I know we've about 10 minutes or so left. I would love to touch on something that I heard you say in another podcast that I listened to you on a while back. Um, It was something along the lines of um, we were talking, you were talking kind of about strength training and the power of strength training in terms of what it does for our mind rather than our body. And Mm -hmm. this is something that I am so, so passionate about. Um, You said it was, I can't remember the exact quote, but the general gist of it was a good physique is a side effect of regular strength training or regular exercise, which really is for our minds. We do, you know, we, we should be exercising regularly and strength training regularly for our minds rather than what it can do for our physique. But that's the side effect of doing that consistently and regularly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think mental resilience and confidence and self-efficacy and how physical strength training has a massive positive impact like on how we feel mentally. Um, It plays a hugely important role, um, obviously, in improving our traits and skills such as self-efficacy, our confidence, our confidence and our obviously our physical strength as well and well-being but I think the mental resilience that can be achieved through physical strength training is huge and that channels into so many different avenues in our, in our life and I'd love for you to just um finish up by elaborating a little bit more on this yeah please. well you did a fabulous job um really summarizing that and it's something I care a lot about too, I think has really pushed me 
into the directions that I'm working in now in psychology. So to address this, there's a couple different categories um, that you've just summarized. The first is the effect of exercise biologically and neurologically. So just the science of what happens. The number one thing that happens when you exercise is that you increase your blood flow. You get your heart rate up and you get your blood pumping. And when you increase blood flow to organs, it is good for your organs. And that includes your brain. So by increasing blood flow to your brain, you juice up your brain. <laughs> you make your brain um, function better. And in addition to just merely that, there are also neurological changes that happen, chemical changes that happen in the brain. So for people who are interested in this, a fabulous book is called Spark. Um, it's by John Rady, who's a psychiatrist over here at Harvard Medical School. And essentially his main premise is that when you exercise, you increase a chemical in your Factor. And what he says is neurotropic factor, excuse me. And he says, this is miracle growth for the brain. It helps your brain to actually make more connections, to strengthen those connections. It helps you to learn better, to memorize better. It helps your brain to function better. Um, and that he's saying, this is really like the number one purpose, the number one effect of exercise. If you think of exercise as medication, and he's really the guy who said like this, like getting a hot body is really just like a nice side effect that happens yeah. because the brain is plastic. The brain responds to the environment and how we stress the brain or, or push the brain to adapt. So by increasing blood flow, increasing beta UNF, we're making all of these really fabulous changes in the climate of our brain. And we do that on a regular basis. Our brain adapts accordingly. So, I mean, there is so much literature in on ADHD, depression, anxiety, um, basically most mental health conditions that they can be improved with regular exercise. And most recently I heard a fabulous lecture from a guy uh, here at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston talking about dementia and Alzheimer's and the number one most significant indicator of prevention of those conditions is exercise, regular physical activity. Amazing. If you think about all yeah. the different interventions that have been tried and discussed over time and nutrition was a pretty close second, but basically saying by increasing blood flow to the brain and by encouraging plasticity and adaptation of the brain, you are preventing um, the, the changes that, that can occur from dementia and, and Alzheimer's in particular. So there's that part of it, just what you're doing biologically and chemically to your brain when you exercise. The other part that you addressed is what happens to your cognitions and what happens to your emotions when you engage in exercise. So the effect that it has on your self-esteem and the way that you think about yourself is not to be underestimated. So when you observe yourself getting up in the morning or going to the gym after work or stopping what you're doing to exercise, you demonstrate a behavior that you admire and that you esteem. And that is self-esteem. We gain self-esteem by engaging in esteemable behaviors. So the more you see yourself do that, the better you feel about it. And so, and we really can't separate out the brain chemistry changes from the changes in the way you perceive yourself, they go together. So if somebody's depressed and they start exercising, they get the increased blood flow, they get the improvement in their serotonin, norepinephrine uh, reuptake, 
And also they see themselves doing something good that took energy and that they admire and that they esteem. And that's going to enhance their self-esteem and their efficacy around getting up and doing something that's hard. So there's there's these different categories, but you really can't like tease them apart. They're both happening and they're both so wonderful. Yes. For your body and achievement of your goals, but more importantly for your psychology and really the health of your brain and your psychology, which basically means psychology means how you think, what your cognitions are, how you feel, what your emotions are, and then how you behave, what your actions are. Amazing. Thank you for that, Lisa. That was a an amazing overview. And like, if that doesn't encourage and give somebody at least their very first motive to <laughs> exercise or to begin exercising regularly, I don't know what will. Mm, mm, there <laughs> but, are so um, many that, good reasons. Exactly. And thank you so much for um, sharing all of your wisdom and education today. Really, really appreciate your time. Um, where would you like people to find you, Lisa, if they would like to get in touch with you or to find out more about you and your work? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So the easiest way to connect with me is via Instagram. Like you said, that's my little baby. And I yes. try to post about three times a week about the connection between mental health and strength training or about motivation um, and fitness and health related behaviors. So that is at Dr. Lewis consulting, no period, just Dr. Lewis consulting. Perfect. And my website, which is my home base is drlewisconsulting.com. And so there you can see articles, podcasts, upcoming events that I might be speaking at, um, for any coaches who are listening. I also have continuing education course. Um, that I sell that's actually going to go on sale. Um, I don't know when you will air this, but it will go the in the second week of March. Uh, it will okay. go on sale. And that's called Psych Skills for Fit Pros. Uh, so yes. it is basically everything that we have talked about this morning for continuing education credits through NASM and the NSCA uh, in an online course that's kind of like a go at your own pace. Amazing. So this podcast will be going out uh, mid-March as well. So right around that time. So any coaches interested in working with Lisa, um, do reach out to her. I will pop all of that information into the show notes below as well. So anybody who is looking will be able to find you so easily. And I highly recommend if you're not already following Lisa on Instagram, do um, the content that she puts out is amazing and um, incredibly inspiring. So thank you so much for your time today, Lisa. It's been an absolute privilege chatting to you. Um, I could talk to you and pick your brain all day, but I know you are a busy woman with places to be and people to talk to. So thank you so much once again and have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Great chatting. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please remember to share and tag on your social media. All of your support is so appreciated and means that I can continue making these podcasts and bringing them to you for free. If you would like to get in contact with Lisa or to check out any of her own work, I will pop her details and where you can find her in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next one.